the complete, verifiable, and irreversible denuclearization of the Korea Peninsula is the only outcome that the United States will accept. That was American Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And this is Tina J. Park of the Canadian Center for the Responsibility to Protect, based at the Monk School of Global Affairs. Hi, Tina. Good to speak to you again. Hello. Uh, you are an expert on the Korean Peninsula, and uh, you've heard what Mike Pompeo has had to say. Is he right to be feeling good? I won't say optimistic, just feeling good. Yes, there are lots of reasons to be hopeful as we wait for the Trump-Kim summit in Singapore just uh, two hours away uh, from now because uh, as we uh, stand, uh, we've heard so much of um, uh, anger and hatred between the two leaders in the last few months. And now we've come to realize that dialogue and diplomacy is really the way to go in terms of making progress on denuclearization uh, and taming North Korea's nuclear ambition. So I think the fact that they are now in the same city uh, about to have a uh, head-to-head meeting is a really good start. Besides, Trump is now angry at Trudeau, so he doesn't have to be angry at uh, at the Korean people. I, I'm just making a joke, and probably it's a bad joke, but <laughs> are you, are you, uh, you sound like you're optimistic that this meeting uh, beginning, as you say, in just a couple of hours, can be productive. What does productive mean in this circumstance? Think, uh, if they could issue a joint agreement of some sort, uh, outlining a general time frame and uh, general conditions for North Korea's denuclearization, uh, that would be great. There are technical issues on, you know, when and how they will do it and how we will verify that they've uh, done it. Uh, and that's all about implementation, not so much about what they promised to each other at the summit. But the summit is significant in the sense that no sitting president from the United States has ever met with the North Korean dictator. And uh, it happened, I think, because uh, both leaders uh, are interested in making history and because South Korean President Moon Jae-in worked really hard to uh, get us to where we are today. Uh, But I think we have to recognize that it's important to keep expectations low uh, and to realize that denuclearization will be a long and complex process well beyond this summit. I would think so. And and, uh, listening, I suppose it was yesterday, to uh, what Trump had to say, uh, in as much as um, meeting with his counterpart from North Korea, he said, uh, I haven't really uh, studied him to any great extent. I haven't prepared to any great extent. I size people up in one minute. It's just what I do. What do you think of that? Uh, it's very difficult to uh, judge anyone in one minute. So I don't think he meant it literally. He probably meant that, you know, first impressions will give a sense of uh, how serious Kim Jong-un is. And I think we have to understand that both men are actually very good at, uh, you know, making sure that the optics of things uh, are in order and they care a lot about the perception and their reputation. So uh, if and when they make an agreement on key issues at stake, such as that peace agreement eventually, or how and when they would do the denuclearization, what the United States is willing to uh, give to the North Koreans in exchange for giving up nuclear weapons. I think all of that will be done in a more constructive fashion if the two leaders could understand each other better. So there are serious linguistic issues and cultural issues, but meeting is a good thing. I don't want to be uh, negative in any way. In fact, I want to be positive. But uh, this this would be, as you say, the first time that two people at that level have met. 
However, the United States and North Korea have engaged before, and the United States has given quite a bit in terms of time and a lot in terms of money, and it's always been disappointed. What makes this different? It's completely different this time, actually, because the circumstances are different. Uh, Before, uh, the most uh, vivid example would be um, when Madeleine Albright visited uh, North Korea under the Clinton administration. They came up with the GREED framework, and it all looked good, except both sides failed to fulfill their agreements, and the deal ultimately fell through. This time, we're looking at a very different set of circumstances, because Uh, Trump, for all his faults, uh, is uh, trained in negotiations, so he believes in making deals and following through, I think, to an extent. And Kim Jong-un has vested interest in gaining economic concessions because North Korea is really feeling the effects of sanctions, and their domestic economy is really in a desperate state because they've been diverting their resources towards investments in uh, the military for many decades. So, uh, when you have a younger leader uh, Kim, like Kim Jong-un, who is only half of uh, Trump's age and who uh, is relatively open to Western ideas compared to his father or grandfather, I think we are looking at a very different uh, set of circumstances guiding this uh, set of negotiations at the summit. And we also have different leadership in South Korea. President Moon Jae-in has been very much insistent on improving inter-Korean relations. They are already discussing uh, joint um, railway projects and infrastructure investment and family reunions. So all of that points to a more unified front on the Korean Peninsula. So circumstances are different, and the leadership in charge in both countries are different. Well, the Korean Peninsula, you brought it up, and, and this is a good point to ask this question. I used the word productive earlier um, as opposed to successful because I'm not sure yet how we measure success, and it sounds like, without putting words in your mouth, neither are you. However, um, if if they came out with a communique, for example, that said that uh, they're now going to put their uh, technical people in touch with each other and they're going to move towards denuclearization, but in the meantime, they were going to restore full diplomatic relations and the much more open border between the two Koreas, would that be success? Yes, absolutely, because our uh, ultimate objective, at least from the Korean perspective, is a peace treaty on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, denuclearization is important, but the root causes of North Korea's insecurity stems from the fact that the Korean War in 1953 only ended with an armistice. And as a result, uh, you know, 51 million people in South Korea and 25 million people in North Korea live in a divided country across the 38th parallel. They have not seen each other for almost 70 years. And the United States has spent a lot of resources and money in uh, trying to protect South Korea. So as we speak, there are over 28,500 U.S. soldiers uh, stationed in South Korea, and they do regular exercises, um, joint military drills between the U.S. and South Korea, which irritates North Korea. So to get to really the issues that have been uh, at the root of North Korea's investment in military capabilities, we have to move towards a peace agreement. And I think if the joint communique could indicate something towards the formal end to the Korean War, which would eventually need uh, agreements from both, uh, both Koreas and the U.S. and China, then I think we're looking at a very different future for the Korean Peninsula.
That would be pretty amazing. And for our listeners, uh, it's uh, important to say that technically the two Koreas, along with China and the United States, are still technically in a state of war that dates back to the early 1950s. So let me ask you this. What changed everything? During the winter, I'm just talking about a few months ago, Kim was just a little dictator who Trump called Rocket Man, the way he, he when he wants to belittle somebody, he uses that kind of language. Now he takes great pains to refer respectfully by name, Kim Jong-un. He says the name in full every time he talks about it. What happened in there? I think a lot has happened since last summer, for instance, when North Korea was testing all sorts of missiles and um, President Trump and Kim Jong-un engaged in open uh, war of words on uh, Twitter, a lot has happened. And I think I would credit uh, South Korean government a lot for uh, the changing of tone and relationship between North Korea and the United States, uh, because we saw North Korea coming out to the world stage through the PyeongChang Olympics. So for the first time ever, we saw the largest crossing of North Koreans across the 38th parallel who came to South Korea uh, and not only cheered for their North Korean athletes, but also cheered for the South Koreans. And there was a such a public image uh, coming out of uh, North Korean leaders' um, sisters as well. Uh, and I think North Korea has been very good at, at trying to uh, work on their uh, public uh, image and trying to engage better with uh, South Korea. And uh, the current South Korean president found himself in a very difficult triangular relationship between the U.S. and North Korea. Uh, but he also gave a lot of credit to President Trump for applying maximum pressure and uh, trying to make a difference on uh, this very difficult uh, issue of denuclearization. So everything we heard about, you know, Trump being nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, for instance, is excellent for boosting Trump's ego. And I think South Koreans are well aware of that. And if our uh, ultimate objective is to change North Korea's behavior, there's no harm in sitting down with the adversary and making a deal uh, that would be better for all parties involved. And I think that's what we're seeing tonight. No question. So final question for you. Uh, you're sitting where uh, Trump is sitting and uh, Kim Jong-un is, is walking into the room and shaking your hand and seeing you face to face for the first time. Only interpreters are in there. So it's it's one man on another man. Um, what would you expect uh, uh, the first the first words to be out of Kim Jong-un's mouth in terms of what he has to offer. What should he say to make Trump satisfied that it's worth moving forward? If I were uh, in his shoes, uh, which I'm uh, grateful I'm not in, uh, I think the first thing would be to recognize that this is a very... Uh, a unique opportunity, and uh, they would most likely thank each other for uh, providing uh, this unique occasion to sit down and uh, make a deal because uh, President Trump, uh, for all his faults, took, I think, a very courageous step to uh, give uh, peace a chance in terms of meeting with Kim Jong-un and trying to uh, deal with this uh, at a very uh, practical level uh, rather than, you know, having just a bunch of diplomats and bureaucrats working on the deal, when you have a political consensus at a higher level, things will move much faster. And both Kim and Trump are aware of that. So uh, the fact that it's only, you know, the two men uh, meeting, uh, at least for the first component of the meeting, is actually a good thing because it gives intimacy and it provides a forum for more candid discussion than uh, in a room full of uh, other high-level aides, uh, which would complicate things for sure.
Well, you've shed some light on what should happen. Let us both hope that it does, and we'll know, um, I guess, an hour or so from now. Thank you so much.